and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of the message is moving once again happy black history month and for this episode we're going to talk about financial illiteracy again but we're going to do the couples version and i had to bring back my second guest ever and she's been very busy recently she's got her own clubhouse going on doing other podcasts so i had to reach out to her before she gets too big you know but to bring back a guest, author of No Thanks, I'm on the Budget, certified financial education instructor, financial coach, Miss Dropping Financial Gems herself, Alicia from Alicia's Financial Corner, LLC. Hello, hello. So happy to be back. Yes. And I am never too busy to join the messages moving, okay? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that FMU alumni love going on. I like that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I thought it was important to bring you back for this because the financial illiteracy episode, Breaking Generation Curse of That, was a huge response. Mm-hmm. And yeah. based on the feedback, it was a lot of couples that actually responded to it. And it was like, they were sending it around and a lot of people that they shared the podcast with was with actual couples, whether it's married or mm-hmm. just any anybody that's in a relationship. And I was like, you know what? I think we need to bring Alicia back so we can really dive into that specifically. Yes, yes, happy to do that for you. Happy to be here. Great. So first step in regards to this right usually i do the whole stats and breaking generation curves of financial illiteracy but i don't want to repeat a lot of what we did on the first episode check that out by the way second episode financial literacy itunes spotify pandora all kind of places but anyway okay so, <laughs> so going back to that like in regards to finances with couples what is the first steps as you as a financial instructor like how what's the first steps to tackle that Yes. So um, what I do usually with my clients, um, well, the first step is actually knowing that, hey, this is something that we need to focus on as um, a couple. You know, this finance is a part of life. You know, it's something that really needs to be talked about. So I think that's the first step is actually knowing that, hey, we really, really, this is an area we need to talk about. I know sometimes, you know, couples say, hey, yeah, we're going to make it financially because, you know, he pays all his bills. I pay all my bills. So we're good. But when you are, you know, even unmarried as a couple or married, you have to talk about that because you're going to be combining your finances into one. So you want to make sure that it is something that you're going to be talking about. So that's the first step is actually getting together and saying, hey, this is important. Mm. Yep. And um, I would say, you know, as far as, you know, understanding what to do is actually kind of like looking at the financial health 
of both of you. So your your financial health is just basically a visual of what you have going on. So that's kind of like getting with those those nasty topics if you want to talk about like income and, and monthly expenses and who has the most debt, you know, your credit score, what's your credit score? And then also, you know, the financial goals as termed in terms of uh, short term and long term. So it's going to be like the, those tough discussions, but it's, it's very important if you want to create a healthy relationship. Right. I think that's important because when I really dived into becoming better with my financial literacy, which is probably approximately around 2017, when I really started buying books about it and listening to Dave Ramsey, Chris Hogan, I, I realized that, you know what, that's not really recommended as much as it should be like when it comes to dating, because mm-hmm. some people wait till after they actually marry. And then when they realize that combined finances that's like, oh, wow, I didn't know you had that much debt or I didn't know that you probably wasn't as comfortable at the same budgeting habits that I have. And now we have to kind of figure this out after the fact. And I thought that was important because when you, if you check out Dave Ramsey right on YouTube and a lot of his callers, there's a lot of situations where there's always something going on with young couples and their financial health. Mm-hmm. And that's why on this episode, we're not just going to talk about it. We're really going to speak on how we can break that down. So I know you mentioned the snowball effect on the last episode, right? Right. So how does that really play into a couple? Because I understand it individually, but how does that work if we're combining finances? Do we both pay on whoever has the highest step together? Do we do it separately and just be transparent about how we're paying it down? Like, how does that work with the snowball effect in a couple? Yeah. So honestly, I would say, you know, since you are trying to achieve some goals together and in a relationship, then your finances need to be combined in terms of trying to pay down that debt. So um, I recommend, you know, well, defining a debt snowball for those that um, are unfamiliar with it is basically you're you're taking all of your debt and you're starting from the smallest to the largest and you're being aggressive with that first debt and then you're paying that off and you're going to go to the second to the third to eventually you're debt free right but when it comes to combining your finances together like in a relationship as a couple i think that you should do the snowball effect together so let's say if i have a thousand dollar credit card and a five thousand dollar credit card and my um, my spouse has a $2,000 card and a $4,000 card. We're going to do mine first. His, his, his $2,000 one second, his $4,000 one third, and then my $5,000 one um, fourth. And this is kind of, you know, like where the trust comes in because you want to make sure that both of you guys have that common goal that to say, hey, I want to you know, we want to be debt free or, you know, we want to achieve this particular goal. So that that's how I would prefer, you know, doing the debt snowball when it comes to a couple doing it together, putting that income together and being aggressive together. Got it. And this is this is not a relationship episode, but I will hope that when you dive into that process that you both agree that you're serious and you're going to see this person for the long term. Because like you said, that's a lot of trust. Yeah, it, it trust trust is real with that. You can't be like, all right, we're gonna pay your thousand dollar one, and then that's it. All right, that snowball free. No, yeah. like what happened to me? 
Right, because you imagine someone taking advantage of that, and as soon as like, well, I'm debt free, and then they just leave the relationship. Yeah, like, oh, what, it's not that. working. Yeah, so yeah, that's where the trust come in, you know. <laughs> also, people, this is this is the business side talking. Promissory note, if you want to. I'm just saying, just throw it out there, maybe a promissory mm-hmm. note in case you feel just a little bit uneasy. But if you feel uneasy, maybe you shouldn't combine it in the first place, maybe not with the right person, but that's another right. episode for another day. Right. If we, you know, I when I think about relationships, if we even want to go further, because I think sometimes like, you know, relationships, especially, you know, newly married couples or, or couples that are going to be married, the, the first thing a lot of people want to do is home ownership, right? Mm-hmm. But what people don't know is that when you're getting a mortgage with two individuals, they're going to pull your lower median score. So essentially, if I have, you know, my three credit uh, reports from Equifax, TransUnion, and um, Experian are all in the 800, and my spouse, his credit score is in the 600. They're going to pull his lower score. So even though I got that higher score, they're going to pull his lower one, and that's going to be our interest rate based on his lower one. So it's like, hey, we better do this debt snowball together because we're going to get your credit score to 800 as mine is. Right. Bonus question. Um I know you mentioned Experian and TransUnion. Don't lenders usually use the the FICO middle score? Yeah, it's the the mid, the middle score. So it's also called like the median score. So okay. they're going to use your they're going to use your lower median score. Whatever the lowest one, the middle score, they're going to use that for okay. when you're talking about two people. Now, one person they use your just your median your middle score, but two people they lose the lowest medium score. Gotcha. And the reason why I asked that, because I didn't know that, but I wanted to ask that anyway to kind of put that out there. Because mm-hmm. in certain conversations I have, I think some people do get confused because maybe they just have like a resource like Credit Karma. And Credit mm-hmm. Karma usually only shows the tragedy and, and Experion, but they probably don't, they're probably not familiar with the middle score per se. So they might look at it and they have like a, a misleading of their, their credit pulling on how they use it for lenders. So I kind of want to ask that so you kind of make that more specific, just in case someone had that question in their mind. So you mean like just how how your credit score is pulled and and, and determined like home mortgage? Right, because like right, because like like let's say like I, I had this conversation the day with someone, right? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, they just use the credit karma to look at their credit health. Mm. And so they always look at the Experion and look at the transient. And usually that's a tool that shows a credit karma instead of pulling like an annual report, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they applied for something or I forgot what they were applying for, but the score that they got back, they was confused on it because they always used to seeing those two scores and they got a score mm-hmm. that wasn't really effective or wasn't what they were used to seeing. So I kind of had to explain to them a little bit. So I felt like, well, if that one person who seemed to be more into financial literacy, still didn't understand that part. I assume maybe a lot of people probably still didn't understand that part either, especially if you're in the beginning stage of rebuilding and learning about credit. Yeah, so credit karma and uh, like credit sesame, first it's important to understand that they sh- there are two different type of credit scores. You have your FICO and you have your Vantage, right? So your Vantage score is a score that credit karma has. Your FICO score is a score you can get on like annual credit report. I mean, annualcreditreport.com. 90% of lenders use your FICO. 
So they don't use the score that's on credit karma, right? And so a lot of people, like I see a lot of memes, it's like, you know, credit karma said my credit score 800, but then when I go get a loan, my score is 650. That's because credit karma doesn't show you or give you the actual credit report that lenders use. Right. Yes. Right. And um, there are some resources like you mentioned on the annual, uh, like what, annualcreditreport.com? Mm-hmm. You can go to annualcreditreport.com. You can go to the personal bureaus. Um, you can get your credit report one time free um, every 12 months. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and I know some companies, they offer something like that as well. Like even Ally Financial, which is where I had my lending for my auto, my auto, um, my auto banking. They mm-hmm. actually had an option where I can take a look at my FICO score. Okay. My mm-hmm. And Capital One, I believe, do it on some cards, some, some accounts. So that's also to throw that out there. Now, on your example of Snowball Effect, you actually mentioned credit cards and I'm kind of want to, that's a good segue to this next question, right? Okay. Because when it comes to building credit, like, okay, we're together, we're going to combine these resources, we're doing the snowball effect. And now some people are saying, well, what's a great way of building credit other than taking out a loan and paying? Cause I know that there's other factors like paying on time, the age of your, your oldest credit line. But I know some people say that to build credit, they get added on to their partner. Well, the partner with a stronger financial health, of course, they get added as an authorized user on their credit card. And that's the easy way to build credit for them. What's your recommendation or or opinion on that with people that wants to be added on as authorized users to build credit for their partner? Yes, so I think that is a great idea, but you wanna make sure there, there are some cons associated with that. Um, So the first con that I say is you have to look at the age of someone's credit. You know, Um, many a times people want to become authorized users, but their credit, the life of their credit may not be long enough. So like length of credit is one of the factors that make up your score. So if you only had this credit card for like two or three years, that's not going to help really kind of help the person to build a credit score because the length of history is not long enough, right? right? And then also, you know, as younger, the younger generation, like us in our 30s, you have to also consider that, you know, we still have a life to live. Like some things could happen, you know, I can be financially stable today and knocking on some wood, you know, something can happen where I, I may have to result to credit cards, right? So you want to make sure that, um, you have uh, your emergency fund set up, you know, or, you know, some type of retirement 401k set up like a three to six months plan, you know, if you're trying to do that authorized user so that, you know, if something was to happen, you have something to back it up. Because if you start using that credit card, if you max out that credit card, if someone's an authorized user, that's going to hit them, too, you know. Mm-hmm. And also you got to make sure that the authorization makes sense. So <laughs> let's just say if. I had a credit card, like, let's say if my spouse was, you know, like 20 years older than me, for example, and um, I wanted to be an authorized user on on his credit card, right? If I become an authorized user, I'm 33. They're going to look at me and say, you really had credit at 13 years old? 
You know what I'm saying? So you right. want to make sure that the authorization kind of makes sense, that it's aligned with age, you know, that are, are we thinking about uncertainties? You know, are you going to, if I become authorized user, am I, are you going to really use this card? Are you financially stable to know that we would never have to use this card again if something happens? So I recommend it, but you also got to consider a lot of those um, cons. Great point. I actually kind of laughed to myself. I thought about how some people said that maybe their their granny or whoever mm-hmm. used their social to open up direct TV or something. It's like, yeah, credit's at nine? <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's like, really? Yeah, we, we don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Okay, so, all right, so that's a great point, and to kind of add on to that, all right, snowball effect. One of the methods is, of course, adding the authorized user to build credit. Of course, like you mentioned, there's pros and cons to that, so as to make sense. Mm-hmm. So now when it comes to combining, this is where it can get a little tricky for some people because now are we going to combine everything into one account? Are we each going to have a check-in account and have just one shared account for expenses? What's the a, a rule of thumb for couples or recommendation on regards to that? Um, I think, you know, it really depends on the couple because, you know, each couple is kind of set up a little different. But my suggestion as a financial coach and when I talk to couples, um, I suggest that you do have some type of joint account where you have all of your major bills. So, you know, because sometimes what as happens is you have somebody that's the, you know, financial savvy person where, you know, he pays all the bills or she, you know, monitors all the bills. Mm-hmm. And you have this person that doesn't blind, like is like blindly about what's going on. He just makes sure all the bills are paid, you know, and um, we don't think about, you know, the, the negative effects of that, you know, not to, you know, just say that, but. I think about when I think about making sure that you know what's going on, I think about, you know, being in the banking industry and um, I would see a lot of times where, you know, unfortunately something happened to the spouse where they're not able to, you know, pay the mortgage or pay the rent. And then it's like the other spouse coming in, trying to get information on the account and they can't. And they're just like, well, I just need to know, has the mortgage been paid? Has the light bill been paid? And it's like, we can't give you any of that information. Mm. You know, so you want to make sure that, yeah, you might not be the person that is good at budgeting or saving, but you want to make sure that you at least know, you know, what's coming out of the account, what's coming out, all the bills paid, you know, how much income is coming in with that. Um, Now, in my book, No Thanks, I'm on a Budget, which is available on Amazon, I kind of break down a checking and a savings account strategy for couples. Uh, So I talk about, you know, and and this is even for single people going back to that, you know, we spend money on so many different places. So it's important that you create different checking accounts as such, you know, have that bill account, have that personal spending account combined. Um, And that's where, you know, those joint accounts are. But then you can also have your own personal checking accounts, too. You know, so like, let's say we already created our budget and we decided, me and my spouse decided that we're going to have, you know, $300 till we get paid next, the next week or $400, whatever the amount is. He doesn't have to know what I'm spending my $400 on or my $300 on. And I don't have to know what he's spending his money on. And it creates this, um, this, this 
um, this healthy relationship to know that, hey, all of our bills are paid with that joint account. We also have a joint account for our groceries. Um, we also have a joint account for gas if we share the same account, I mean, the same car. And then we also can spend money on whatever it is we want to spend money on without you knowing. Just know I have that money aside and you have that money aside. So, yeah, that's my recommendation. Oh, yeah, let's just drop in these gems. Boom. Oh, man. <laughs> man, that's great, great points. And mm-hmm. once again, that's how my mind works sometimes. I always think about something funny. You know how I go sometimes. Because I actually thought about that episode of Martin where him and Gina actually shared or tried to share an account that one episode. Mm-hmm. And it became a little petty, right? Martin wanted to pay screen TV. Gina <laughs> wanted to buy this. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was like, you know what? Looking back at it, that was actually because you know when that episode first premiered. Of course, we were like younger. Now looking at it, it's like, wow, people really go through that. Mm-hmm. So I think that was important. You said that right. They don't have to know what you're spending the money on, as long as we know that we're good to go. We have that shared account. Mm-hmm. It creates that healthy balance, but it also depends on the partner, right, and how transparent or how things work. Because if you have someone that's a huge spender, they probably don't want to feel like they're being monitored, right? <laughs> right, right. They don't. And and me, you know, um, I was on, I was talking earlier about like, you know, budgeting hotspots, like something that, you know, even though we budget, sometimes we have, you know, minor errors in and things and something is like I like Amazon. So I find myself like, you know, just buying just like random things on Amazon. Stay within my budget, but I, I, I do enjoy shopping on Amazon. And it's like I don't want my spouse to know every single thing that I spend my money on, you know? Like that's that's a little bit too much now. <laughs> I understand that. It's kind of like, because <laughs> once you see it, and all you need is that one situation where the money is lower. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you point your fingers. Well, mm-hmm. if we ain't buy all this right here, was was this OnlyFans membership where that came from? You know? <laughs> Not <laughs> the OnlyFans. No, I, I think the OnlyFans need to be something that's uh, shared together now. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just saying, but anyone. Who can relate to that in your own oh, way? God. We ain't judging nobody in this episode. We're going to cover all grounds. That's all yeah, I'm Yeah, I mean, unless you're out here on OnlyFans, I mean, by any means, go ahead. But I right. think that should be something shit. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. All right. So, in regards to that, because you mentioned examples of gas and grocery, I know in your IG, your Instagram, you say you should never pay full price of household expenses. Matter of fact, I think you have a shirt, thou should not pay full price. Mm-hmm. Available on my website. There you go. Go ahead and plug that. So <laughs> what is your methods on not paying full price? Is it couponing? Is it like, what is your strategies for not paying full price? Yeah, you guessed it. It's, um, it's couponing. So I, I just remember, like you remember in college, you know, paying like full price for like toilet paper and toothpaste and detergent. You're like, man, these little small expenses, you know, add up. Uh-huh. Well, a lot of people don't know that there you can coupon, like you don't have to necessarily get like paper coupons and things unless you want to to save more. But there are a lot of different stores like Family Dollar, like my favorite Dollar General, that actually have coupons on their app, their digital app where you can save. So I love, I call it Dollar General um, Saturdays for me because Dollar General has, if I spend $25, I automatically get $5 off, right? Mm -hmm. 
But in addition, they have things like $2 off uh, toothpaste, you know, a dollar off toilet paper. And that's just by me simply downloading the app and downloading coupons. So it's like I never pay full price, even if it's a dollar off or two dollars off. I never pay pay full price. Now, there's a lot more to like, you know, a coupon like like um, extreme coupon. I don't know if you ever saw that show uh-huh. like where you can see people total go from. $90 to $5. There's a lot of different methods to that. But the bottom line is download digital coupons, look for coupons, never pay full price for any household items. And you will save um, just by using digital coupons. And, and this is even with, you know, grocery store shopping. Like I never, um, a trick that I've been able to save, you know, between $75 to $100 on, on food expenses is, of course, you know, I meal prep, but I also shop what's on sale. So I look at the, the weekly ads. And so whatever's on sale, that's what I'm buying for the week. And it helps me to, one, help me to be organized because, you know, as well, I know as women, we don't never know what we want to eat, right? <laughs> but when I, when I get that weekly ad and I'm looking at those coupons and things, it helps me to, um, to save that money and then I'm getting a discounted item. So I'm never paying the full price on anything. Getting the digital coupons, the, the store coupons, the store ads and all that. Yeah, so never pay full price. Got it. And to piggyback on that, even when I go out to the mail, I see a lot because they always have like a little trash in case you don't want to carry the mail back to your apartment or whatever. And mm-hmm. I see all these like paper coupons in the trash. So it's like to your point, some people can really find a way to meal prep. Like, okay, let me just see what's on sale this week. Mm-hmm. Right? And meal prep that way. If you want to go old school, I remember my first real nine to five job back in 2012. And the one lady in my cubicle, she had like a photo album of like coupons. Like she was one of those extreme couponers. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm talking about every page, like what, what you need. I was like, <laughs> one time I'm, I'm being, you know, as a guy, I'm not really into like going, like one time baby shower or something like that. I didn't really mm-hmm. expect going into it, right? So I wanted to support these two friends that were having a baby. And I was like, hey, what, what's, what's a good thing to buy a baby shower? She's like, oh, come over here to my office. And she had, Diapers, pampers. So she had mm-hmm. all kind. Of, like she had it broken down in sections. She actually had like a bookmark for each section of what you're trying to get. Mm. So that's the old school way too. Yeah, and another thing is a lot of stores they do like price match as well. So mm-hmm. I know like Walmart and Target do. Um, so like if you find, let's say, uh, diapers or even just household appliances, like something that I did, I think it was a couple of years ago, there was like a TV stand I wanted. And of course me, I looked on Amazon and I saw it cheaper. It was like $30 cheaper. So I went to uh, Walmart and I let them see the same product and they gave it to me the price on Amazon because of price match. There you go. Yep. And to go to the other side of it, of digital couponing, a lot of companies now, they actually make it easier when you're searching the internet as well. Like, mm-hmm. I believe Capital One have their own extension that you can go, that goes to your browser. So it automatically picks up what site you're on to apply digital coupons on. Yep. 
Yep. And I like how you talked about the bank too, because now banks have uh, cashback rewards. So like it was a bank that I recently opened and they gave you cash back for spending money at like Starbucks and like Panera Bread. It's like 10% um, 10% cash back. So that's another way where you're not really essentially paying full price too. So. Mm-hmm. Ooh, bonus question. Just curious. So for the example we had, with adding someone as an authorized user, right? Mm-hmm. In a way, can that be a huge factor? Of course, you probably have to add limitations, but let's say you add an authorized user who is a spender, but you're having them on the actual cash back credit card. That actually can be a benefit because you're, well, I can see how that can be a benefit, but at the same time, it might be giving too much power, so never mind. I just thought about that. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, it it can work both ways. I usually tell people sometimes, you know, I say you can be an authorized user and not even get the card. (laughs) I know some parents do that at different Mm -hmm. cultures. Yeah, I mean, it can it can help um, because they're with the credit cards. There are cash back like three percent on um, groceries and two percent on gas. But you want to be mindful of that, like um, because I remember Many, many years ago, I opened a credit card and I did the cash back because they were given 10 times the rewards and I paid all of my bills. uh, I think it was like for the first three months and I got like $400 cash back just by doing that, just by paying all my bills on my credit card and paying it right back. I got $400 of free money. So that's a that's a a financial strategy um but you got to be really disciplined with that because it's like you can't spend you know a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars and not pay it back just because you're getting the points because what ends up happening if you don't pay it back then you're going to be subject to that interest so the amount you paying for cash getting for cash back you you actually just paying it back to interest so right mm -hmm. great point so on this on this next question I have for you, right? You kind of or we kind of already broke this down. So I'm gonna kind of, I guess, readjust the question a little bit. So when it comes to getting ready for marriage, right? Like mm-hmm. let's say you're a couple, you're, you got to combine the resources. You're doing a snowball effect. You're doing all these great steps that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like for couples that, because I know for a lot of cases, right? You go to marriage counseling like premarital counseling, do you feel like financial counseling should be just as important as other counseling going into marriage? Because a lot of marriages highlight that finance is like one of the number one reasons why they divorce. Mm-hmm. So you think that, what are the advantages of that? Because I, I mean, I know some of them can be obvious, but just to kind of make it more specific, like when it comes to financial counseling, I ain't talking about just YouTubing videos, trying to get that quick, free game, but actual financial counseling before marriage. What are the advantages of that? Yeah, so I first of all, I I like how you mentioned, you know, that people go to like counseling and therapy before they go to marriage. But you know, that's you know, when we that's a part of health, you know what I'm saying? And so sometimes we think about like mental health, we think about physical health, but we don't take the time to think about the actual financial health. Mm-hmm. So having a, a financial coach provides or a financial advisor or a planner provides so many opportunities because it helps to, first of all, get a mutual understanding of what's going on. 
Because if you have someone that's, you know, dominant all their life and finances, you know, as a single person, I know how to pay my bills. And then the other person's like, I know how to pay my bills. It's going to be hard to combine those things because the financial coach can actually get you aligned and give you some expertise as to what it is you need to focus on. You know, because you might think in this time and age, it's best to save. Whereas your financial coach might say, you know, hey, you already been saving. Maybe it's time for you to pay down debt. So I think having that mutual person in between with that expertise is going to help the finances better, um, help you to figure out what goals it is that you need to work on. And I think it's just a motivator for you to be just financially healthy in, 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 in general. You know, like you said, well, um, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And one of the top three reasons is because of finances. Like I said before, people go in, you pay your bills. I know how to pay all my bills. We're good. But you have to build that foundation where it's like we're combining this all together. And let me tell you, Uncle Sam, when you start paying them taxes, you know, your one income is now going to be two. So your student loan payments, those income-based payments, they're going to double. Okay, Um, all those your your tax liability is going to be more because essentially you're making more. So that's why you need a a financial person to come in and and help you with those things. You got to think about the retirement and think about the kids. It ain't it ain't you no more. It's us. (laughs) Right. Yes. Right. And to kind of go off that right generation, generation wise, you kind of mentioned this earlier. You alluded to this earlier. You mentioned that. If one person is paying on a bill, you saw in the banking industry, and something happens, unfortunately, like a tragic accident or whatever the case may be, they can't even find out like the status of what they're paying for because they're blindly doing it. Or one person has responsibility. It, it's different now because I think, I'll, like back in the day, like our predecessors, there was a time, and I, some people still talk to me about it. I have like husbands back in the day in the barbershop tell me. Oh yeah, I used to just give up all my money to my wife. I didn't mm-hmm. control that, that. I make the money, I gave it to her. That's how I went. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's pros and cons to that. But the reason why it should be more urgent now because a lot of us went to college and came out with student loan debt. Mm-hmm. The student loan debt right now in America is one point five one one point fifty seven trillion dollars, and fifty four percent of college attendees took on debt to pay for the higher education. Mm-hmm. And more specifically, the American Association of University Women found that black women have the most outstanding debt compared to white men and white women, with black women racking up over $29,000 of undergraduate loans by graduation compared to only 20000 for white women. And that's just an undergrad. So imagine all of our women out there getting these masters, right? Mm-hmm. And they say there's studies show that graduates are likely to marry another college graduate. So now you have all that student loan debt mm-hmm. combine it as one. That whole one person paid that person, you know, <laughs> just making the money. I don't think that's feasible in these times no. because it's, it's too much riding on to it from credit card use to student loan debt and just like how it's easier to do the couponing, Dave Ramsey always said this, it's easier to save money, so it's easier to spend money. Yep. So, and another thing I want to mention about that, 
because I actually saw this a couple of times in your Instagram and I thought you made a great point. There are some people who just look at quick Twitter accounts, memes, YouTubes, and I'm not mad at it because at least you're trying to educate yourself with some things, mm-hmm. but you can only go but so far by just looking at those things and not having a counselor work for you or a coach work for you because you need that kind of consistency, right? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but if you follow so much people, everybody got a different way of doing things. It's one on one way to save money, to budget, to get rich. So if all you're doing is looking for this free game per se, that's not going to help in the long run because maybe you need consultation. Right. And I think the biggest thing with, you know, just trying to get free information is that the free information may not pertain to what you need to focus on. All I see mostly on on Facebook, everyone wants to invest, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Investing is important. Investing takes your finances to the next step. But how can you say that you want to invest when you don't have at least a thousand dollars in a savings account? Mm. Right. You, you don't you're not saving anything to be able to have the capital to be able to invest. Right. Right. You know, um, and what and in, in, in investing, that's that's a that's a big boy game. So somebody tell you, oh, like I remember when PlayStation came out and everybody's talking about y'all buy PlayStation. I'm buying Sony or whatever. OK, go ahead. Buy Sony. But do, did you look at the the. Um, the like the financial statements and stone and Sony. Mm-hmm. Do you know if that company is profitable? Another yeah. thing, um, GameStop. You know, GameStop was in the news because GameStop was not doing good, and all of a sudden there was a spike where the 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 um the price of the stock went up three hundred points. So people, I mean three hundred dollars. So people were making money, right? So you had people saying, "Oh, I'm investing in GameStop at three fifty, right?" Man, the next day, GameStop went back down to $50. Right, because it wasn't meant to be a lot. Yeah, so people lost money. Now, what if you just say, oh, I'm going to learn how to invest. I'm going to put $1,000 or $2,000. I'm going to put all my savings in GameStop because I, I, this is how you make money. And you, go, you lost all that money the next day, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you are following people, if you're just trying to get the free information, follow people that are going to pertain to your situation. And I mean, I'm sorry, but if you want to be better financially, you got to invest in yourself. You know, the same way we go to school, we invest in our education. You mm-hmm. know, the same way you want to get physically fit, you invest in that. So you got to invest in your finances as well. Pay pay a little bit of money to go sign up for a course. Pay a little bit. Go on Amazon.com. Pay that $19.99 for no thanks I'm on the budget. There you go. <laughs> you know, I'm about and, to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just invest in yourself, and, and it's going to make you a better person um, in financially. Yes. Right. And the, the world of investing is not going to go away anytime soon. No. It, so no, it's, it's all not. about patience. Like, Build on that, like you said, invest in it. You're not going to get that that body you want overnight, um, unless yeah. you unless you got some money saved aside, you go to the doctor. But that's that's one other story. But <laughs> other than that, all that's not going to be overnight. Invest into it. Um, one of the things that I give out, one of the resources rather, is investopedia.com. They actually have a simulator on buying stocks. I did that for like a whole year before I even mm-hmm. tried buying my first stock. And there are a lot of apps like that. You can literally go. 
on apps. Some people don't even look at their apps unless it's a trend. You know how many times you can just type in stimul- uh, like simulator for f- financing, budgeting, for, mm-hmm. for investing, and they're like, you know what, let me just go on some of these apps, let me learn, let me go seek a financial buyer, let me buy some books about it, and then let me pace myself instead of right. making a, a quick decision. Because with GameStop, I knew that was something to really invest into. Like, okay, that, that hit their peak. I knew what was going on. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to invest in that. That, that time, that should have sale for you to make that quick money. Yeah, it did. It went fast. Just like a lot of people, when Hertz crashed, everybody was like, oh, buy low, buy low. And if you bought Hertz, your money would have been gone because Hertz is bankrupt. Right, because Hertz, before it crashed, it, it didn't have a good forecasting future if you looked at mm-hmm. the financial statements. Mm-hmm. And all of that is free information. You go to the company website, and you go to investor relations, and you check those stuff out. And if you're not sure what you're reading, then you hit up someone like Alicia who knows what that what all those verbiage means and those numbers mean, and then she can break that down like, well, this is what it means. Now you can make your informed decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's a kind of a personal question. So essentially, were you being a financial coach, right? Financial instructor. Mm-hmm. Is that a deal breaker for you to date someone who has no type of financial <laughs> sense to them? Um, man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I was looking like, you know, I'm just curious, right? Because even me, right? I'm not, I'm not all those credentials that you have. But I do mm-hmm. think differently about money now, right? So yeah. if I'm dating someone and that woman, she doesn't even seem like she's trying to be financially um, literate. I'm not going to lie. That might be a closer to a deal breaker for me. So I can imagine for you, it might be a little different. Yeah, of course. That That is, that's a deal breaker. So, you know, I think about like, you know, even like being in a relationship now, like financial, finances is important. So that's like what we talk about. And I think about, you know, just like relationships in the past, the person wasn't, didn't think about finances. And it was, I, you know, you stick with the person and pretty soon you realize like, man, this person, like I remember trying to do like a 52 week challenge with somebody. And it was like, we got to like week 10 and it was wanting to borrow money. I'm like, come <laughs> on. Like, I, if you don't know about the 52 week challenge is, is week one, a dollar, week two, two dollars so Mm -hmm. forth and so on. And me, I think that's just a a, a deal breaker because it's like, I want to be financially healthy. So yeah, yeah, we got to have some type of consensus that we we are working on our financial goals, you know, together. You know, where, where are we financially and what are we doing to improve it? You know, I didn't look to say, oh, he making six figures. He got a BMW. Like, I don't do that. I look to see what where your heart is, like what you're trying to focus on now and how you want to improve it. You know, so, yeah, it's definitely a deal breaker if they don't have their finances in order. Right. And, you know, um, you know, like about like love languages, the five love languages. Right. Where they say gifts is a love language. That's not my love language. That is not. So if you think you coming at me and like with a $500 gift, I would be mad at you. And, you know, most females would be like, why are you mad? But I'm just like, because that's not my love language. Because I'm like, why you didn't put this money in our savings account? <laughs> right. Oh, we could have broke that down and we could have went to Charlotte 
for the weekend, got a hotel, and went a couple of places with that five hundred dollars. So right. yeah, I I definitely make sure, like even in a relationship now, that we talk about finances. That is very important. Right. I put you in the spot, but that was a great answer because I, I promise you there are some people that are thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be thinking the same thing. Like, you know what? I'm looking on this other side of this room right here. This person here sucks with money. And yeah. I don't think it's never going to change. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's fair, especially when you worked up and let's say you're that person that you try your best to be responsible with your finances and you basically worked your way into a good financial position. And then to kind of have someone who's not trying at all, because it's not about not having, it's more so the mindset. Mm-hmm. Right. And then yep. you don't want that seesaw effect where you're going up and they're kind of dragging you down the other side and vice mm-hmm. versa. You don't want that situation. So I thought that was important to put out there. And I know people might say, well, that's a tough conversation. I have to act. But, you know, ask about someone's finance. That seemed too personal. Well, you're in a personal relationship. Like right. if you want to sit person with a, you know, make vows one day or you're dating with a purpose, then no conversation is too hard to have because Uncle Sam don't care about your uncomfortability when it comes to those taxes. <laughs> he showed up. He don't care if y'all talked about it or not. He just wants his money. There you go. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. So, and I like how you said like dating with a purpose because, you know, when you date for a purpose, so it's basically you both are aligned trying to do things the right way, which includes trying to be, you know, financially healthy. So I like how you said that. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, with all these gems you draw, I want you to once again put out your social media handles, how they can reach you, how they can get your book. And I know you're in Clubhouse now. I want you to go ahead and plug that as well. Yes. So I can be found on our Facebook, Alicia's Financial Corner. Um, I have a business page and also like an interactive group page. So if you on Facebook, you can um, follow me there. I also have my Instagram, which is Alicia's Financial Corner. Um, and then I am on Clubhouse, which is the, the new thing. I'm trying to get my Clubhouse followers up. So you can follow me at Alicia's Corner. Um, I do do um, bi-weekly like, inspirational things. So sometimes you might hear me talking about finance. You might hear me talking about something inspirational. So you can follow me there. It's um, inspiring underscore millennials, A to Z. Um, and then I also you know, wrote my first book, No Thanks, I'm on a Budget, which is available on Amazon. Or you can get it on Barnes and Noble online as well, too. So, yes. And what about the shirts? Yes, my shirts are available on my website. I have about seven shirts available. One is No Thanks, I'm on a Budget. So you and your spouse trying to get that house and you want to tell her, hey, we got a budget. You can put that shirt on and say, no, thanks. I'm on the budget. You know, you walking around with your realtor and they giving you some high prices. Mm-hmm. Just point at the shirt. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and for the fellas out there, in case a woman trying to ask for some cash app money, you can just put it up. No, thanks. <laughs> I'm on the budget. So it works both ways. I promise you. <laughs> Man, that's so, so funny. So once again, I, I want to appreciate all my listeners out there for rocking with me because I'm I'm getting kind of deep in this podcast game. Started off as an overnight idea, but look at us now. And yes. in the month of Black History, it's all about acknowledging the history, but also making new history. Something that Alicia is doing as well in the financial standpoint. Thank you again for joining the show. 
Of course, no problem. Anytime. All right, y'all. For my listeners out there, be another episode coming soon. Everybody take care and be safe out there. It's beat.